When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you to make better financial decisions in your life. One thing we always do on the podcast is answer your questions, but of course, I can't get to all of them. That's why we have the Team Clark Consumer Action Center. You can get one-on-one advice from a member of our team, Monday through Friday, six hours each weekday, except during holidays. The time's 10 in the morning Eastern time zone till four in the afternoon Eastern time zone. The number, 636-49-CLARK. In today's episode, lots of Americans are feeling financial pressure, feeling it's hard to get through the month with the funds you have. And I want to talk about trends out there that are helping people close that gap. One of the ones that is growing so fast, buy nothing groups. What's a buy nothing group, I'll tell you. And speaking of saving money, one thing you want to be careful with is if you decide you're tired of wearing glasses or contact lenses and you want to get LASIK, you got to know there's more to what meets the eye than the price in the ad. That was a bad pun. So, buy nothing. This started originally in the 1990s and what was known then as the simplicity movement. It was about people who felt that their lives had become like a rat race and too much time chasing goods instead of being with family, friends, simple life activities And it was kind of a revolt against the velocity of modern life. Today, that's morphed into, in many ways, into the buy-nothing philosophy. And that is, so many of us have so much stuff that no longer fits in our lives. And the buy-nothing groups are almost like co-ops, non-buying co-ops. And they are all over America and Canada where people post things available not for sale but for giveaway. And so people, instead of buying something, get somebody's used item who knows what condition you'll find it in and you get rid of stuff that's clutter in your life and your trash becomes somebody else's treasure and vice versa. And this was a really small kind of thing. Now has become a big thing across North America. And it's helping people reduce their spending. My daughter who moved recently, she was moving from a bigger place to a smaller place. There were things that didn't fit in her life. She was able to give a lot of things away. There were some things she needed for her new place. She was able to find them for free in one of these 
buy nothing groups, and you'll find them across social media. You'll find them very prominently on Facebook and any of a number of social media. You'll find where people are giving things. And this is not an opportunity for you to sell things to people cheap or buy things cheap. The rules on these buy nothing groups is you can't use them as a way of marketing things you're trying to sell. This is about giving them away. And I want to give a uh, counterpoint to something I talked about recently, and that is social influencers that are so powerful at getting products sold. In fact, the data shows they're far more successful typically than advertising at getting things sold for a company, a new product, new service, whatever. Now there's a counter-revolution, and that's people using social media to convince you not to buy things. So we've got a lot of cross-currents going on right now with how we're handling our money. And with a lot of people really stretched, it's important for you to really think before you spend. If you are an online shopper, I love a suggestion that I gave years ago for one reason, but it's having a whole different benefit. And that is that you put something in your shopping cart in an online seller and abandon the cart. And the reason I talked about that originally was because many times playing hard to get, the selling website will come back and offer you some kind of additional discount to get you to go ahead and buy that item that's in your cart. Well, then what I realized is that a lot of times we'll put something in our cart on an impulse. And if we abandon the cart and think about it, give ourselves a day or whatever, a lot of times we'll just empty our cart and not buy it. So there's a double benefit now. You may get a lower price. Sometimes the price may be gone and you're looking at paying more money. That could happen. But usually what will happen is it'll get you a lower price or you won't spend the money at all. And right now, as people need to stretch dollars, that is a potential nice benefit. Krista, you do one of the buy nothings, don't you? I do. I mean, when I give away a lot of stuff, I actually saw one the other day that made me laugh, though. Somebody posted a mattress that was like on a front porch and it was so disgusting. It was like dirty, nasty mattress and, and so were, who's sleeping on that now in your household? <laughs> I was like, you're going to have to pay to have that thing hauled off or put it out with the trash on the day that they'll take the big items. Oh, my gosh. So the one that you're in, is it next door? Is it Facebook or what? Are it's you? on a face. It's a Facebook. Facebook. It's a buy nothing in my local area. So and then but on next door, which I'm on as well, people give away things a lot, too. So it's really fun to give stuff away because people. I gave away some chairs and recently, and so people say why they want them. And I gave them to a teacher who wanted to use them in a reading corner in her room, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. So it's really fun. This question's from Paula in North Carolina. My husband's getting ready to retire from the Marine Corps with 30 years. Wow. Wow. Paula, please thank your husband for that wonderful 30 years of his life that he's given to this great nation. He is not choosing the survivor benefit plan, and we are looking into life insurance, so I will be taken care of in the event that he passes before me. Our agent is suggesting a term life policy and a single premium whole life policy. 
We have paid off our home and cars. The only debt we have is about 40K for a boat. I'm very skeptical of all life insurance, especially insurance agents. Also, other ways to save or invest that we would be guaranteed not to lose our money, but also earn in our investment. I'm terrified of investing and losing everything. So Paula, you're giving me just a terrible basket (laughs) of choices here. Your husband doesn't want to do the survivor benefit plan, coming back to that. Two, you're skeptical of the life insurance. Good for you. And we'll talk about life insurance in a second. Three, you're afraid of any kind of investing because you're afraid to lose your money. So you're saying no to this, no to this, no to this. So the yes that there should be is, I don't know your husband's reasons, Paula, but the smartest move with your fear of investing and the huge commissions involved with the whole life insurance, the single premium that the insurance agent's trying to sell you, is go back to the very beginning, and your husband should elect the survivor benefit plan. That would be the smart money, because what it does is your husband would have money deducted from his ongoing uh, military pension that he earned, and again, thank him, thank both of you, because I know there's an enormous sacrifice being a military spouse. It is a great benefit available. He should take that hit on the monthly pension so that you have the equivalent of an inflation-adjusted pension if you do outlive him. So that is the smart money to do the SBP. All right, if for whatever reason in the dynamics of your family, he's not going to change his mind, he's not going to do the SBP, then you don't want the single premium life insurance. That's a really bad idea. But what you would benefit from is your husband, if he's fully, can be fully underwritten health-wise, is for him to have a 30-year level term policy. It would buy you, for the next 30 years, it would buy you peace of mind in the event of his early demise that you would have this money available to you. Now, he is somewhere around 50 years old, more or less, based on 30 years of service. 30-year level term would cover till he's nearly 80 years old. And so that would be a much better, more efficient use of funds than doing the single premium life insurance. Now, you and I have to talk about the risk you feel and fear from investing. The way you overcome inflation over the decades is to do widely diversified investing. And I don't know if you're working, you have not said, but if you are working, then that automatically opens up you being able to do a Roth IRA and put money into it and put it in what's known as the target retirement fund that adjusts the risks of the investments as you age and get closer to that target retirement date. And I'd much rather see you putting money into that over the years than anything like uh, atrocious, ultra-high commission, single premium life insurance policy. But keeping it simple here, Paula, the survivor benefit plan is a really good benefit to him as a retiring soldier, as a retiring Marine, and that is the first best answer to ensure financial security for yourself going forward. From Connie in Ohio, my daughter has been renting due to financial problems. She's considering a rent-to-own house. Is this a good idea? So rent-to-own is something that has 
been a question I've been asked for 40 years. And with a rent-to-own plan, the problem is all in the details, both for who you'd be renting from and for you, who you hope to buy from. And any rent-to-own plan is only as good as the documents are drawn. And before you could consider one, you need to have the agreement reviewed by a lawyer of your choosing. I know I'm asking you to lay money out, but it's important that you know if the rent-to-own offer is, in fact, in your best interest. You don't want to be in a position where you're paying this money in, and then it turns out you're never going to be able to execute a purchase in the required time. Should it be specifically a real estate attorney or just... It's better if it is a real estate attorney because they've been involved in these. They've seen them. I mean, just talk to any friend who's local who's bought a home. They'll be able to refer you to a real estate closing attorney because in most states, they're involved in the transaction. They're able to review the rent-to-own plan and see if it is one that is favorable to you or unfavorable to you. Samantha in Minnesota says, I know Clark has a real bias against timeshares, and frankly, I do too. However, the Disney timeshare is unique in their resale market and the Disney buyback approach. Many contracts are worth more today than when people bought them 10 or 15 years ago. If I plan on paying cash for a contract using the points, the timeshare, and then selling it in a decade or so, is it worth it? I fully realize that a timeshare is never an investment, and I'm looking for a way to prepay for Disney accommodations at a slightly reduced cost. Samantha, I'm sorry, as someone who is all Disney all the time, I, even though the Disney timeshare has less downside risk than other timeshares, as I read about these, you still face downside risk. And yes, it is possible for people who bought Disney timeshare value years ago that they're now more valuable than when they paid for them, but that's not inflation adjusted. So the Disney timeshares are not the worst of the lot. They are much better than most timeshares, but they are still a timeshare and the math does not work in your favor. So this would be a purchase of love of Disney, not a purchase of love of your money. So uh, you enjoy your time there. And yes, there are many people who anytime I'm asked about the Disney timeshares say, Clark, you just don't get it, do you? <laughs> I guess that's true. Coming ahead, we're going to talk about me or you being able to get rid of your glasses or your contact lenses or whatever it is and what's involved and getting LASIK. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yet another action for deception in the LASIK business happened from the feds as they went after one of the big laser eye chains for bait and switch, promoting in their ads ultra low prices. They were even running ads saying you get LASIK for two fifty an eye. And then it turned out that only people who had nearly perfect vision had any chance of getting it done for a price like that because they actually didn't need any meaningful correction. And then people would go in and they say, oh, well, you don't qualify for that. And then the price jumped to about $2,200 an eye. And this has been an industry that has had a bait and switch problem uh, since it really kicked off. There are a few things here. One, if you want to get LASIK, my wife had LASIK, Krista of our crew had LASIK, my sister-in-law had LASIK. My other sister-in-law had LASIK. I mean, this is something that people who've had it are just so ecstatic if they've spent their lives wearing contacts or glasses. My wife was so blind before she got LASIK, not, not literally blind expression, that she couldn't see more than like her hand right in front of her face until she put on glasses or popped in her contacts. And LASIK was a game changer for her. But LASIK involves a couple of things. One, the cost. And second, the quality. Third, the follow-up care. All these things really matter. And in the industry, when you go based on an ad you see with a teaser price, what you'll often find out is even if they honor the teaser price you see in an ad online or however you see it, there's going to be additional charges for, they may call them enhancements or follow-up visits or whatever, and the actual total cost may be much, much higher. And how do people end up being sucked in by these ads that promote these low prices? Because you want to believe you can afford it. You want to believe that. And so the buyer behavior is a lot of times we really don't want to know what's behind the curtain. What are those other costs that we would face? And so they're able to lure us in, get us to buy, and then only later do we have the regret in the wallet when we find out how much extra it's going to be. But we're talking about a medical procedure here. That's why... I think it's really important for you to get professional opinions and multiple opinions on whether you are appropriate for LASIK and going to a practice, an ophthalmologist who does not do it and being evaluated by an ophthalmologist who has no financial gain potentially there to do an eval for you if LASIK is appropriate for you is important. Also, Someone who is a practicing ophthalmologist 
will have a good feel, not a perfect feel, but a good feel for where would be good places for you to go for referral to have LASIK done. This is something that became a consumer product and actually is a medical procedure where there could be real harm to you having it when you're not an appropriate candidate on one hand or two, having problems because it's a sweatshop kind of LASIK place and the care is not as it should be for you and the ongoing problems you could have later could be really, really debilitating. Remember, Clark.com slash Clark stinks because I know I'll hear from people in the industry who are not happy with exactly what I said or will have additions of other things people should consider before they have LASIK. Um, Did you have any ongoing things, hiccups along the way after you had your LASIK? No, it's been amazing. And honestly, I was so careful about choosing the doctor. He had done thousands of LASIK surgeries, thousands. And he also was a doctor for a professional sports team where they need to see well, and he had done all their surgeries. And so he was very confident. You want that in a surgeon, someone who's super, super confident, almost cocky, right? Like that's a, that's the surgeon you want. And he was amazing. So here's a funny thing. I was told by a, a LASIK eye surgeon that the hardest patients to do LASIK on are defensive and offensive linemen and huh. linebackers. Because somebody coming at them, they immediately go into full like warrior mode. And it's really hard to get them to just lay there and do it. Now, do you know why I never got LASIK? Why? I watched Lane's LASIK surgery, and you're seeing on this big monitor this close-up of the eye and all this happening. And I was like, Ugh. I don't know why you would do that. That was I, really stupid of me. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. I don't want to know. Just tell me when it's over. Okay. Angie in Texas has a question. We recently moved into a new to us house that was originally built in the eighties. The former owners did a lot of renovations, but the bathrooms need a lot of work. Neither my husband nor I have ever dealt with home remodels or renovations in the past and aren't sure where to start. What do you think about Costco's home services? We use them for shutters in our former home and we're happy with the service, but we're a little unsure for a full renovation. So we know that I love Costco. We have a dog named Kirkland Signature. And you had a dog named Costco. We did have a dog forever ago named Costco Wholesale. So... I really love Costco. That's not how I'd pick a contractor to do a full reno of a bathroom in your home. And no knock on anybody who Costco has contracted with for this. But this is something you don't want a third party involved. We've had this problem with the home improvement retailers where people will hire a contractor through them. And then there's all kinds of problems that happen. And then the home improvement contractor is like, who, us? What? Huh? You know, so... This is something where when you hire a contractor to do the reno, you want to be looking that contractor who you're hiring right in the eyes. You want to see work that they've done. You want to talk to people that they've done renos for. People who have had a renovation or addition done in their homes, they're really proud of it. And they're happy to talk about it. They're even, in many cases, they're happy to have you come over and see what was done. And you want to ask those references, what happened on budget? What happened on time? Those are the two big things we hear complaints about is oh, budget yeah. and time. Twice as much for both usually. Twice as, yeah, <laughs> twice as much, twice as long. So uh, you go in with your eyes open on a renovation. 
And when you're first talking with contractors about it, you're just, you're just full of joy and excitement. It's the romance phase. And because nothing's happened yet. And so you're just like, yeah, that's great. This is wonderful. Well, yeah, yeah. The reality is very different. And hiring a, a reno contractor for your home, it's kind of like one of those things, much easier to get into trouble than to get out of it. So you really take your time checking references and getting quotes from multiples. And the more clear you are about the materials you want to use, the quality of materials, all of that helps you zero in much better on what the cost frame is you're looking for for the job. So this needs to be somebody who's local, somebody who's experienced, somebody who's not evasive with you about references, and clear as can be in writing about costs and be very cautious about anybody who wants you to front load money to them for the work that's going to take place. How much do you, would you say you should put down with someone? So uh, anytime I talk about this, it's a hazardous area. Uh, when you're doing a, a reno, it depends on the culture of the area you're in and the contractor. But what is generally recommended is that money is paid at progress milestones in the work. So you don't want a lot of the money already in the contractor's hands before you're far along. So, you know, a lot of times people say, well, 10% upfront's okay, but I don't even want to get there because really it's about progress payments through the end of the job with a 10% retainage at the end. The 10% retainage often done in commercial projects is where the last 10% of money is held back till it's clear that everything is done right with the job. From Christina in New Mexico, I want listeners to know that it's not just the giant monster megabanks cheating you on interest. I encourage everyone to double check their savings rates and products. I have an emergency savings account with a big, primarily online bank and an MMSA at a large credit union catering to the military. Money market savings account, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, money market savings account. I chased interest rates years ago to that big online bank and have always been comfortable with my credit union. I decided to verify rates at the beginning of February and found that my money was no longer earning the best interest. In both cases, I had to open new savings accounts and have the money transferred to a higher rate account. On one account, I will earn almost as much interest in one month as it took me all last year to earn. Needless to say, I feel duped. So I want to thank you so much, Christina. One thing that will surprise you the bank that you have money with that's both online and physical branches is actually one of the largest banks in the United States. They're not one of the four giant monster mega banks, but they are a huge bank. And they had acquired another independent bank, and that's how they ended up with the banking charter and the branches and all that. And what they pay is not as generous as the bank that they had acquired. That having been said, no matter who you're with, and the credit union you're with for the military was the first credit union I was ever a member of, then called Pentagon Federal, that I joined in 1970, during the Vietnam War. It was like early 70s, like 73, 74, something like that. And they're a great institution. But with any institution, it's up to you to make sure you're getting the best deal. And we've kind of gotten lazy with that over the last decade because interest rates on savings have been so low. Now we're at a point where there can be enormous gaps exposed 
between what you're earning right now and what you could earn either within the walls of the same institution or by shopping around. Uh, right now on Simple Savings, we're looking at rates uh, potentially in the fours on Simple Savings, CDs as well in that range, and there are outliers that are paying 5% or above. Now, it's funny for people that are older, do you know there used to be a fixed rate on savings accounts that you got from a cousin of banks that used to be called a savings and loan? Do you know what that fixed rate was? No. 5.25%. Oh, wow. So what today seems like, it's unbelievable. I mean, we could earn 5% of our money. It used to be standard when the government regulated rates that everybody got you open an account, you automatically got five and a quarter percent. Today, it's a floating rate set by the market. And it's up to you and me to stay on top of it, just like you have now done, Christina. And now you're going to earn more money. From Peter in Pennsylvania, I listen to the podcast every morning at 5 a.m. while at the gym, and your show provides such a positive start to my day. Do you know how early 5 a.m. is? Good morning, Peter. Work harder. Run faster. <laughs> Currently, I'm getting closer to paying off my car. Certainly looking forward to no more monthly payments. However, I recall that you reported on individuals having trouble obtaining their title from the finance company following the payoff, especially during and post-COVID. Of course, added to my situation is the fact that my car is financed through one of the monster mega banks, which makes me no more nervous. To your knowledge, is this still an issue regarding securing titles from the finance group? Also, any tips on avoiding problems when obtaining the title? For example, certified mail or maybe going to a branch in person. Well, this is a problem that, Peter, I don't think you need to worry about anymore. This was a big problem from 7 to about 11 when we had all those bank failures in the country and records got all messed up and people couldn't get their titles when they paid off a vehicle loan. And then again, it became a big problem in 20 and 21. There's not a single complaint about title that has been on my radar last year at all and so far this year. It seems like after the problem from 7 to 11 got solved, it went quiet for nine years and now is quiet again. And I have somewhat a pulse of what we hear that comes into us at the Team Clark Consumer Action Center or comes into one of the TV stations I'm on and have not heard a peep from either the Team Clark Consumer Action Center or any of the TV station producers that obtaining titles are a problem. So one less thing to worry about. And Peter, just remember, I talk slower than anybody else on any podcast, and I may be hurting your cadence and your exercise routine. You can always speed me up a little when you need to step up your pace working out on whatever machines you work out on. And, you know, I have an obsession with one kind of exercise machine. You remember it's the elliptical. The elliptical. Mm -hmm. And so the elliptical is what I do. And if I feel like I'm not working out enough, I step up the level mm -hmm. of intensity on the elliptical. In your case, listening to me, if I'm slowing you down on your workout, just speed me up a little and it'll help you. Get that workout done harder. Go, Peter, go. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening. Very early this morning, 5 a.m. I don't do 5 a.m. The only time I do 5 a.m. is for an ultra early morning flight. That's when I'll do 5 a.m. But have 
a wonderful day, and I hope the rest of your day is absolutely great. And the Team Clark I mentioned, again, if you want to talk with someone at Team Clark, go to clark.com slash CAC. We're at your service 30 hours a week, and the advice is free.